the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick D podcast. How are you? I am your host, Nick DeGilio. It is episode 152 of the Nick D podcast here at Radio Misfits, part of the Radio Misfits podcast network, the best podcast network in the world. You can check out a ton of really cool, informative, entertaining, and funny podcasts that are available here at radiomisfits.com and also live streaming. That's right. Radio Misfits is now streaming 24-7 as a streaming service that you can tune into anytime you want. And uh, you can hear this podcast and my other podcast, uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. You can hear that those uh, every day. Uh, this podcast at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time and uh, my SNL podcast at 9 a.m. Central Time every single day as part of a 24-hour streaming service that we love to call Radio Misfits.Live. So check it all out. You can be a part of this podcast uh, by leaving a voicemail message. we uh, Our voicemail messages are uh, open 24-7. We encourage you. We want to hear from you. We want your feedback, your questions, your comments, your contributions of any kind. You want to make a megaphone message request? You want that megaphone message uh, specifically for you, a joke, an inside thing, a movie line, anything you want? We will do it for you. Just leave a voicemail on the 24-hour wide-open message service, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. We listen to every voicemail, we read every email, and we play many of them and read them on the podcast themselves. You want to be a sponsor? We reach a lot of people. You got an advertisement thing that you want to do with us? Help us out. Help you out. Help everybody out in the world. Sales at radiomisfits.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and Ed and everybody. At Radio Misfits. Uh, it is a Friday, and uh, we will be back with our buddies, uh, Eric Chilton and Steve Procopi, professional movie critics. We'll get uh, their thoughts on all the new movies. Lots of big movies are opening up. So Eric and Steve and I will talk about those and review all the new movies and all that cool stuff. Esmeralda Leon will join me, as she always does. We've been talking about a lot of weird... Uh, we've been talking about game shows and weird Japanese TV shows and uh, some other very strange TV shows, uh, reality and game shows and competitions that we've been talking about. And there's a lot more to it. So we're going to get to more of that. We've got a uh, magic megaphone message to get to as well. So that is all coming up. Um, I thought very quickly I would run down my best and worst lists of movies so far this year. We have, shockingly, we are halfway through 2023. It is hard to believe, but yeah, man, half of the year is over. <laughs> so I have seen every movie uh, that it will be released until the end of the month, June 30th. And uh, so because it's six months full, we're halfway through, I always put together the best movies of the year and the worst movies of the year to this point. So at the halfway mark, I'm going to fly down my list of 20 titles of the best movies of the year and 20 titles of the worst movies of the year. You can play them back and jot down the names and, uh, and all that cool stuff. 
Uh, but we are halfway through, so it's time to like jot down all the stuff that I love, 20 great movies, 20 bad movies, so that that way at the end of the year, I don't have to go through all the titles. I can just go through these 20 in the bad department and these 20 in the good department. Does that sound good? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. So there you go. All right. Let me just fly through the titles. I won't even go through an explanation. I'll talk a little bit about the worst or the best, but here we go. Uh, we are halfway through, so at the halfway point, six months in, these are the 20 worst movies I've seen in 2023. I'll start with number 20. At number 20, number 20 is a terrible movie. Number one is horrible. So they go from bad to even worse. So here are the 20 worst movies at the halfway point of 2023. Number 20, The Little Mermaid. Number 19, Plane. Number 18, You People. Number 17, Renfield. Number 16, The Pope's Exorcist. Number 15, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Number 14, Skinamarink. Number 13, Book Club, The Next Chapter. Number 12, Fast X. Number 11, Scream 6. Number 10, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Number 9, Blackberry. Number 8, 80 for Brady. Number 7, Cocaine Bear. Number 6, The Flash. Number 5, The Super Mario Brothers Movie. Number 4, Knock at the Cabin. Number 3, About My Father. Number 2, Spinning Gold which is, by the way, so bad, it's hilarious, I will say that. And that's the movie about the Casablanca Records uh, company. It's so bad, it's good, that's, but it is horrible. And number one is A Good Person, one of the most defensive and inaccurate movies ever made uh, dealing with alcoholism uh, or addiction or sobriety, written and directed by a piece of shit named Zach Braff. Uh, so A Good Person is number one on the worst list for 2023 so far. All right. Halfway point, six months in, here are the 20 best movies that I've seen this year so far. And they go from number 20 to number one. So they go from great to even greater to number one being the best movie uh, of the year so far. So halfway point, six months in, here are the 20 best movies that I've seen in 2023 so far. Number 20, Marlowe. Number 19, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number 18, The Boogeyman. Number 17, No Hard Feelings. Number 16, Inside. Number 15, Evil Dead Rise. 14, Past Lives. 13, Revoir Paris. 12, Husera the Bone Woman. 11, You Hurt My Feelings. 10, Infinity Pool. Sanctuary is number 9. Number 8, Showing Up. Number 7, Alice Darling. Number 6, Blue Jean. Number 5, Somewhere in Queens. Number 4, John Wick, Chapter 4. Number 3, A Thousand and One number two, Of an Age, and number one, the best movie halfway through the year, the best movie of 2023 so far, is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the exceptional and wonderful and beautiful uh, adaptation of the Judy Bloom uh, classic. So uh, those are the 20 worst movies of 2023 and the 20 best movies of 2023 at the halfway point. Got six months to go. It'll be interesting to see which ones of those movies remain on that list at the end. So there you go. And speaking of movies, oh, wait a minute. Here's the, yes. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I, know. I love Nick's show. I know, baby. I know. And I'm sorry that uh, Cocaine Bear is on the list. I apologize. All right. <laughs> Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are going to join me uh, to talk about new movies once I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision. You've made today It makes the other podcasts Seem like crap Oh yeah Don't be a jack 
That theme, of course, means it's time for the movie reviews. And uh, we review movies every uh, couple of weeks here on uh, the Nick D podcast, um, usually uh, every other Friday. And uh, it's time to do that. Eric Children, Steve Procopi join me to talk new movies. Um, and we are officially, the summer movie season is flying along. And um, uh, lots, of, uh, lots of big stuff uh, in the coming weeks uh, leading up to, uh, oh, I don't know, the fall? Okay. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, so let's say hello to our uh, our critics here and uh, Steve Procopio. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hello. And uh, Eric Childress. Hi, Eric. Hello. All right. Uh, let's say uh, hello uh, to Eric. And Eric, tell everybody where they can uh, hear you and read your stuff and see you and all that uh, cool stuff where they can catch up with you. Yes. Uh, I have a couple of podcasts on the Now Playing Network, uh, the Movie Madness podcast that uh, Steve Procopio is a regular weekly guest on, along with Peter Subzinski talking Blu-rays. Uh, then I also have The Friendship Dilemma that I co-host with Morgan Geyer. We talk about male and female friendships in the movies. Uh, and I read a box office column for Rotten Tomatoes uh, every uh, Sunday afternoon. And there's a television show, Business First AM, that I'm on every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. Okay. Uh, hey, did uh, speaking of box office, did, did people expect The Flash uh, to tank as hard as it did? Nope. No one no. did, huh? Uh, not not to the level that it's tanking. Uh, I mean, the numbers were low coming in tracking, but people were expecting somewhere around 70, 75 million last weekend. And for it to come in at 55, and now it's looking like Green Lantern numbers. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, and this is just, this is DC then, right? I mean, these kind of numbers yeah. don't really happen to Marvel, right? No, the Marvel's only really had a couple of uh, defaults. Uh, Quantumania earlier this year was a big loser. Eternals was a loser, but that's about it. I mean, Guardians uh, Volume 3 was a hit. Yeah. So they haven't really had uh, a whole lot. But DC had quite a few. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I it, – it always seems that way. It always seems yeah. that way. Wow, really interesting. 55, <laughs> 55 million. Holy cow. Wow. Uh, how much of that yeah. do you think, do, you know, for uh, talking to people about it from both of you guys, how much do you, do you think the, the Ezra Miller thing has to do with it? Is that, I mean, in addition Very little. to, in it, oh, seriously? I mean, in addition yeah. to, I mean, well, one, it's a shitty movie. So that's, that's one yeah. thing, but, and it's DC and they've always had some issues, but I, uh, has anybody factored in the fact that like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not going to support this Ezra Miller guy. Do you think the money, the movie would have made more money if somebody else had played the role? No. No, no, because because for one thing, the this DC universe as we know it is basically winding down. Everyone knows that James Gunn is going to be rebooting this thing, so now we're sort of at a place like, well, why should I bother? You know, because these stories aren't really leading anywhere, and they're all kind of tied into one another. So why why not wait? If they're oh. really curious about it, and the reviews weren't particularly you know terrific, so they're just like, oh, I'll just wait. Yeah, all right. I I don't think the most people even could tell you what was what is going on with Ezra Miller right now. So also or true. what the issue what the issues were. And there were several, but I I challenge, you know, ten random people to tell me what any of those issues were. So Yeah. Um okay. yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with that. Okay. Well then it's just because it's a shitty movie. All right. Um <laughs> all right. Uh Steve, uh, tell everybody where they can uh, read your stuff and hear your stuff and all that stuff. 
Yeah, my written reviews are at thirdcoastreview.com. Uh, like Eric said, we do the Movie Mod- Madness podcast every week, and then I'm also with the Music Box Theater a lot, where I am the PR manager. There you go. Lots of great stuff happening at the Music Box coming up. Yeah. Um, and uh, the movies that we're reviewing uh, this week, we're actually reviewing two movies that uh, open today, technically, the 23rd of June, and uh, we are going to review uh, a movie that doesn't open up until the 30th, but, you know, uh, it doesn't have an it's these the embargo thing is just kind of well this is because it played can right that's why the yeah. embargo is up mm-hmm. uh, so that's why you know because sometimes you can't talk about a movie until there's an embargo and you can't talk about it till the day it comes out or three days before it comes out or whatever but the movie that we're going to review we're going to review the new Indiana Jones movie uh, but that played at uh, can in May so there really was no embargo so you know when you saw it when we saw it we could talk about it so we're going to review it since we're not going to be you guys are on every other week, and next week you guys are not going to be on, so we're going to review the mm-hmm. uh, Indiana Jones movie. So know that while we're talking about the new Indiana Jones movie, uh, it is not available to be seen until next Friday. So you have till next Friday to uh, to waste your money. So uh, <laughs> that's and then the seventy millimeter fest is in the middle of July, so we'll cover that um, the next time we talk. Right, uh, the seventy yep. millimeter fest uh, coming up there. But you guys have this will lead into our first review. Steve, you guys over at uh-huh. the uh, at the Music Box this past week or so have been showing some uh, Wes Anderson movies leading up to the opening uh, today yeah. of... Uh, well, it opened in New York and Los Angeles last week, but it opens in Chicago mm-hmm. today. And that's uh, Wes Anderson's new movie, Asteroid City. But you guys were showing uh, four of his previous movies uh, leading mm-hmm. up to that. Um, and doing well, I understand. Like the house is very really well, big. very yeah. well, especially for uh, Royal Tenenbaums, and I think Grand Budapest was probably number two. Yeah, but but we had the the first night of this four by West series. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums sold out, mm-hmm. uh, and the second show that I went to uh, on the last night of it had like four hundred people. <laughs> so. Uh, there is clearly a no no show undersold. I mean, they were all. I think we we had a meeting yesterday, and someone who thought they people wouldn't come out for these were like, "Okay, I was wrong." That's how they started the meeting. Yeah. So, okay. yes, people came out to every single show. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, there you go. And it leads up to the opening, and it is playing. It opens mm-hmm. up today, and it will be playing at the Music Box as well as other theaters. Correct? It is playing at other theaters. Uh, all over. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. over the place. So it's it's got a wide release, but you can see it at the Music Box. Um, are you guys showing it in 35 or is it, D, is it, uh, DC no, I don't think, I don't think there's a 35 print anywhere okay. in the country, even though he shot it on film. So that, th- you know, there certainly is that potential, but no, okay. no, not 35. Not right now. Okay. Well, yeah. Asteroid City has opened wide. It's the new movie from Wes Anderson, uh, which, uh, tons of people went out to see some of his earlier works this week. Uh, Eric, you have not seen it. You'll be seeing it uh, today at some point. Uh, yes. You're, pro- mm-hmm. you're probably watching it right now as we speak. I might be. <laughs> um, so uh, Steve and I will review it because we have both seen it. Steve, tell us about the latest from Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. Yeah, uh, the, the Asteroid City has, you know, all the classic touchstones of Anderson's work from production design and color schemes and makeup and use of miniatures and sort of a segmented storytelling that, that all combined to sort of make a, a singular and unique experience, I'd say. Um, that that and, and in particular, there's a color design in Asteroid City that's pri- partially whited out by the harsh sunlight unique to the Spanish desert where this film was shot. Uh, the story is set in 1955 in, in an American town 
uh, that gives the film its name. Uh, it's an isolated community, and it's home to an annual event for junior stargazers and a space cadet convention uh, organized to bring students and parents from across the country for you know, fellowship and scholarly competition. Um, the segments of Asteroid City are actually acts and scenes of a fictional world-famous play called Asteroid City. The film is actually starts out as sort of part documentary narrated by a host played by Brian Cranston, uh, who tells the tale of a playwright named Conrad Earp, played by Edward Norton, doing his best knockoff Tennessee Williams, um, who is staging the play. Uh, but as we explore the inner workings of the actors and Earp's struggles to get the play up and running, we see the scenes as they would have been realized in a movie. I realize that this sounds much more complicated than it is. Anyway, uh, the screenplay is from Anderson and his regular collaborator, Roman Coppola. Uh, the film tackles relationships and divides between parents and children, husbands and wives, as well as uh, would-be lovers who, who would never have met or even been forced to spend any time together were it not for this unexpected and highly disruptive appearance of an alien during a ceremony called Asteroid Day. Um, celebrated uh celebrating the town's most famous aspect which is that a small asteroid landed on this spot decades earlier uh jeffrey wright plays a general uh who's in charge of the festivities and immediately contacts the president when the alien makes an appearance and then kind of locks down the area until they can figure out a plan of action uh among those trapped in asteroid city or augie Sten uh, steenbeck played by jason schwartzman uh, who's a recent widower with four children whom he hasn't told uh, that their mother is dead yet, um, including the eldest, Woodrow, played by Jake Ryan, who's kind of the genius in the family and who actually has a shot of winning a grant at this scholarly competition. Um, when the family car breaks down, Augie is forced to call his father-in-law, played by Tom Hanks, who doesn't like him very much but would do just about anything for his grandchildren. Other people stranded in this town... Uh, our well-known movie star Midge Campbell, played by Scarlett Johansson. There's a scientist, played by Tilda Swinton. Uh, the parents of some of the other kids in the competition, played by Liev Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park. Uh, there's a young teacher uh, there with a group of students, played by Maya Hawk. Uh, there's a local mechanic, played by Matt Dillon. Um, and then the motel manager, Steve Carell. Uh, and there's a variety of other characters sort of pop in and out, played by Hong Chow, Rupert Friend, and Tony Revolori. And that's only sort of scratching the surface of who all is in this movie. I mean, Jeff Goldblum plays an alien, for God's sake. So um, so when the perspective shifts back to the black and white sort of theater documentary, we see the actors who are playing these characters, actors in quotes. And while it sounds complicated and dense, it's anything but, I think... Um, there's a special type of Anderson weirdness just in general, but with Asteroid City kind of crossing the line into science fiction at times, uh, it's a different kind of weirdness. And I think it makes the whole affair seem a little more accessible. And I think it's fu very funny um, when it isn't heartbreaking <laughs> as well, which is kind of that that part of Anderson hasn't changed for this film. He always goes for the, the heartbreak. Um, and... At the heart, I think the movie is really about a small group of these hyper-intelligent children who are inventing technology and even weaponry that is miles beyond what the world's governments are capable of, and barely anyone is noticing it because they're unusual kids and they're just not like being paid attention to by adults. Um, they aren't being bullied, but they are being marginalized, and that will have an impact on their lives, I think, going forward. 
But while they are together in Asteroid City, they are surrounded by kindred spirits, and it makes them feel a little less alone, I think. Um, you, you may have to do a little digging to get that message, but I think it's worth it. And, um, and I think that's true of most of Anderson's work, especially having just rewatched um, several of them. I, I, I kind of... It's, and what I think most people consider some of his best, so... Um, so yeah, this is this is kind of in the middle for me on on his like if I was if I was a ranking man, uh, I would maybe put this in the middle, but I still think it's worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm done with Wes Anderson. I think after this and and French Dispatch, which I French Dispatch I think is unwatchable. Uh, this is close to being unwatchable. The final third of the movie, um, when something uh, actually of interest happens. Um, and uh, someone's popular right now, and um, uh, and uh, when it breaks I- I out into this, uh, when the when the five or six different like storytelling arcs that he's on, uh, when it breaks into this whole uh, thing about uh, you can't uh, wake up if you don't go to sleep thing, um, finally so he taps into something kind of interesting. But by this point, I'm I had already completely clocked out. I was done. Um, I, I'm done with the pastels. I'm done with the dioramas. I'm done with his visual style, uh, with stripping personality out of really good actors. I'm done with that. I've never been more less interested in characters for an hour and 40 minutes than I was in this. When it finally does start to do something interesting, like I said, in like the last third-ish or maybe last 15, uh, 20 minutes or so, maybe the last act-ish, um, I just didn't care anymore. Uh, I, 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 you know, like the, the, the twee things that he does, the, the score is redundant, the same, the use of music, the whole like color palette and that, you know, the whole diorama moving around and all that. I didn't care about any of any of that stuff that was happening and the kind of tricks that he, that he used to do that I found charming and interesting that he did that I thought for that led to something like a great film like Royal Tenenbaums, uh, which is where he really started this whole structure, you know, because Bottle Rocket wasn't really like that. Rushmore had mm-hmm. moments of it like that. But Tenenbaums was the first time he really laid the, the groundwork for the repetitive style that he does. Um, and some people love it. I would say the majority of like people uh, love love his stuff. Uh, but I don't think he's made anything new. I don't think he's added anything to... I don't think he's made a better movie than Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums was 22 years ago. Um, and, I, and I think he's repeated himself to some degree of, of like, coolness. Like, I really, I really... I think Moonrise Kingdom is a terrific movie. Um, you know, I, I, Jar, Darjeeling is okay. Grand Budapest is funny because of Ray Fiennes. Uh, mm-hmm. Isle of Dogs... The two animated ones are fine, but they're just, like, the same shit instead of real actors... They're animated, which is the same kind of thing he does to his actors anyway, because they may as well be animated. Uh, but this one and French Dispatch are, I'm done, man. I mean, I'm like, I got it. You are limited in what you can do. You did it really well. You made a couple of great movies, and you are repeating yourself constantly, like six, seven times in a row with diminishing returns. So uh, this is a little bit better than uh, French uh, Dispatch. Uh, but for my money, a waste of an extraordinary ta- cast, um, a waste of time. I just didn't care about anything. And it was just, it was, if you like Wes Anderson, you'll love it. You'll love it. I'm done with him. He's done nothing new in years. And, and the, 
and I'm now annoyed. And I just I was annoyed for an hour and a half, and then kind of intrigued by 15 minutes of it. So I'm not the right person now. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with Wes Anderson. I I mean I, I mean French Dispatch was I was like if he never made a movie ever again I would have been fine after seeing French Dispatch. And then this one's not much better. But uh, so but again uh, I you know. You guys will kill with this um, at, at Music Box. It'll sell out. You guys will have, like, everybody will be everybody will love it. I've reached my I've reached my breaking point with Wes Anderson. So, <laughs> and it's interesting because like I I love Royal Tenenbaums and I love Rushmore, um, you know, and, and and I really like Moonrise Kingdom a lot. Uh, so I've liked his stuff in the past, especially Tenenbaums, but I don't think he's ever stylistically moved away from that, and he's definitely not made a better or more interesting movie in 20 years. So I'm done with the guy. Anyway, uh, Eric, I'd be interested to see what you think of it. So well, I, I just walked out of the movie I... based on that review. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just walked out of the movie based on that review. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I think we can, I think we can chalk the Eric up for a, for a no on this one as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, no but way. no, I, but you know, though, they, no, listen, Hey, uh, I, I'm just not a fan, you know, I mean, people, people are fans of certain directors. You, and s- some of the directors love, people love what they do. And this is exactly what this guy does. And there's a huge audience for it. And those people will love it. Mm. So that's it. I mean, I'm not one of those yeah. people anymore and I haven't been for about 20 years. So anyway. you hung on a lot longer than I did. Nick. Yeah, I've well, been, I, I'm yeah. off the Wes Anderson train for a while. Uh, but okay. I, I look. I watch this trailer. I'm very curious about it. So I mean, I go right. in fresh. To okay. Every movie. All right. All right. I don't know. I mean, did mm-hmm. you not like Moonrise Kingdom? Because to me, that no, that, I had that's big the, of, of those yeah. of of the of the stuff past Tenenbaums. To me, that yeah. is by far the best thing he's done. I that's a movie I'm going to re, based on what I think about Asteroid City. I'm going to possibly revisit that one because that's the one everyone tells me that that I'm wrong on. Uh, yeah. I I found his style sapped all anything that was interesting yeah. or sweet out of that movie. Yeah, uh, and I was very annoyed. With okay, it. well then you 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 had a reaction to that movie that I've had it <laughs> the last like, yes. three. So okay, all right, that makes sense. But I don't know. I mean, for me, Moonrise Kingdom. And Steve, you're a fan, obviously. Still, I, you know, honestly, I, I'm I, I've I'm more hit than miss with him, but I'm not like across the board. Yeah, I, I never like when I think of all the directors that I deeply admire. He is not one that like pops into my head right, right away. And, right. and I agree, like French French Dispatch was a bit of a letdown for me. So, um, but I I feel like introducing uh, this science fiction. I mean, just a little bit. Like it sort of tinged it in a way that made it at least a little different than what the last few that he's made. Yeah. So, yeah. But I will say, I having just seen Moonrise Kingdom again over the weekend. Uh, oh my God, that movie is so good. Like, I, I really, really like that movie. Yeah, me Even too. more than I remember liking it the yeah. first time. No, um, that's... Because I don't think I've seen it since it was new. For me, it, for me, of the more recent, since Tenenbaums, that's the only one. Of all the stuff he's done in 20 years, Moonrise is the only one that I back completely. You know? I, and I, and I, I will say, what you, what you said about Grand Budapest being any... Like, it, what's interesting is that of all the, the ways that sort of dispassionate delivery of the actors having someone step out of that role like yeah. 
Yeah. Ray Fiennes does right. and right, just right, right. curse yeah. and like be <laughs> yeah. crude, but yeah. also try to maintain like a certain. Oh my God. It's one of the best performances he's, that no, year. It's he, amazing. No, he's a riot. He's a, he's <laughs> yeah. an absolute, he's a riot. He's genius in that. Yeah. And I, and I love him in it, but anyway, all right. Well, yeah. asteroid city playing anyway. everywhere. Uh, Steve says, yes, I say no. Uh, Eric has yet to see it. So there you go. All right, Eric. Uh, well, all of us have seen the next couple of movies. So the next one we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about is the new, R-rated comedy with uh, uh, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence called yeah. No Hard Feelings. Eric, tell us about No Hard Feelings, which is opening uh, wide today. Yes, uh, and in this film, Jennifer Lawrence plays Maddie Barker, uh, who is in her early 30s. Uh, she has inherited a house uh, from her mom, uh, who has uh, since passed away. Uh, she's uh, struggling uh, to pay the property taxes on the house. The house is paid off, so that's all she has to pay. Um, she is an Uber driver, but as the film opens, uh, her car is repossessed by um, actually a former lover of hers. Uh, and she uh, goes off to, you know, possibly, you know, she works as a bartender, but uh, has some problems there as well. Uh, so in order to potentially uh, continue her Ubering, she finds an ad uh, by a couple of uh, a rich family in town, uh, parents played by Matthew Broderick and Laura Benatti, uh, who want someone to quote unquote unquote date their son, their yeah. uh, college bound son. Um, or, basically or, or, sort of, or, or date the hell out of him. As, uh, date the hell out of him. Date right, his yeah. brains out. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and, if, and if they can do that, sort of bring him out of his shell, get him out of his room and the video games and all that kind of stuff, and sort of bring him into the, the living world, uh, they will give sign over a car to her. So, uh, so that's, that's the deal. So she goes over, meets with them, agrees to do this. Uh, and then uh, sets off to uh, more or less seduce this uh, 19-year-old kid played by uh, newcomer Andrew Barth Feldman uh, and uses, I wouldn't say every trick in the book, but just every potential angle of her femininity uh, to bring uh, this guy to basically to orgasm, more or less. Um, But he's clearly very awkward. Uh, He, you know, he doesn't talk to a lot of men or women for that matter. Uh, tries to get him drunk, that doesn't work, tries to get him skinny dipping, just tries to do everything she possibly can, and it's not really working. Um, but as the two of them begin to uh, learn more about each other, they d- discover that the b- both of them uh, have past and presence, really, that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't know if I'd call them broken People, but they have these uh, these issues and these problems, financial and personal, that really begin to sort of form a bond uh, between the two of them, um, and it kind of uh, elevates this from being just another sort of sitcom-like situation where we're waiting for the other shoe to drop and him to find out exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot is being made about this being an R-rated comedy, as you set up, Nick, and the, the 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 trailer and the premise of it certainly lend its way to being some kind of raunchy sex comedy. Uh, but walking out of this movie, and I'm at the very end. Uh, I found this movie to be uh, incredibly sweet. Uh, and surprisingly a bit sad. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, like people are going to have a bad time at this movie. Uh, I really kind of bonded with both of these 
characters. I really understood where both of them were coming from uh, and the relationship that develops between them, uh, I think, is honest and real. Uh, I wish that the screenplay uh, that's uh, co-written and by the director, Gene Stavninsky, uh, who uh, worked on The Office and created uh, Good Boys a few years ago, which is one of the best comedies of the last five years, I think. Uh, I, w I wish the screenplay uh, leaned a little bit he more heavily into that stuff um, because it kind of leaves this kind of R-rated raunch stuff um, in mostly in the first half of the movie, and I was fine with that. Uh, if, if anything, this, what this movie proves is that Jennifer Lawrence is an absolute star. I mean, I mean we, we've known this already. She's got four Oscar nominations, for God's sakes. Uh, but even in something like this, where she could have easily just devolved into playing, you know, these these women that, you know, like Rebel Wilson has played and whatnot, where they're just kind of uh, ne'er-do-wells who are just, you know, shucking their responsibilities and then have to learn to be more responsible and whatnot. That's not who this character is, even though the, the, the uh, trailer might have set her up like that. Uh, and she is just fantastic in this movie, and so is Andrew Barth Feldman. He's not just some shy geek uh, and uh, is there for easy laughs. There's there's real uh, pathos to his character. And uh, as I texted you, Nick, after the movie, th this film has the best p piano solo rendition of a 1980 song since Her Smell. Uh, and I mean that in not just the melody of it and the way it's performed, but what that scene ultimately means for the two of these characters. That's a scene that I was waiting uh, for it to go really wild and play up in the sort of the hyper hyper raunch kind of thing that we might be expecting on this movie. But it's this really beautiful, really sweet, really kind of applause-worthy kind of moment in the film. Uh, I, I think that, again, I think the screenplay could have expanded uh, a, a little bit in the, in the second half. Uh, and But I was a fan of No Hard Feelings. Okay. All right, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, this this is terrific, uh, and I, I, you know what? What's interesting is it it is the more serious and relatable moments I think that kind of pull it across the finish line. Like the this idea, and I remember having this reaction to um, th to this particular aspect of the story when I saw uh, Kevin Smith's Zack and Mary make a porno, where it acknowledges that like a sizable portion of Americans are financially struggling, and like that's that's a reality and it's not treated as a joke or that like she's some sort of slacker she's just like she lives in montauk which is like where a bunch of rich new yorkers have like summer homes uh in long island and she's a local and she's watching her world like kind of get pushed out uh because of these rich bastards that like just come in for a season um and it and she's slightly resentful of that and so you know if if you know, she doesn't she rejects being called a sex worker by per Percy's parents but but she also brings like a certain amount of dignity uh to it i mean she has agency over her body and her life and if sleeping with a 19 year old saves her family home you know she dares anyone to have a problem with that so um so i like i i like that aspect of it and and i also like that the percy kid is like kind of initially painted as like this lonely nerd but the more we get to know him the deeper we kind of get into his state of mind and we realize that like a lifetime of bullying has kind of driven him inside himself. And I'm, make, I'm making all this sound very serious. It's not, it's all fuel for the comedy. Um, 
and like his closest friends are all online or the animals that he takes care of at like this local animal shelter where he works it he's a sweetheart of a kid and because of that like because he doesn't want to have sex with her right away she thinks this is going to be like one day like seduce him have sex with him get the car but because he wants to like get to know her and it forces them to like get to know each other um it becomes if not a love story then then certainly something about just this bond that forms between these two people who are living who haven't really had many connections in their lives outside of their family um so so yeah i mean and eric's right like we're just kind of counting down until we we know this whole arrangement is going to be exposed somehow um but i you know i even that is sort of done in an interesting way i think so they you know these are i i mean yeah but and then there's like there's a i love the even a lot of the supporting players i think are great here uh natalie morales plays her her pregnant best friend and then there's like a her idiot husband played by scott MacArthur, who those two are phenomenal and they're in this movie way more than i think a lot of other comedies would keep them in they're not just there for jokes they're there to sort of establish who maddie is um i thought kyle mooney I, I don't even know if i want to say who he plays but he's hilarious in like two scenes in this movie and um and he's perfectly cast i think as a you know as what he may or may not be um anyway but yeah i, I like and, and even just having like these two i mean you have a, a two-time oscar winner and and broderick and benanti are both tony winners like they're not involved in this comedy by accident they're here because they see something in it that maybe you know just calling it a sex comedy uh would allow some other actors to, to see but like yeah this is this is this movie one of the funniest things i've seen this year if not the funniest yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was great, too. And it's and it is much more than uh, they're advertising it to be. But I think that that's in order to get some people into the seats, uh, you know, because if you say hard R uh, rated uh, sex comedy with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, you're going to get boys uh, to come out. There's no question <laughs> about it. Uh, there's no question about. It. But when they get there, they're going to get a story with three dimensional characters and a relationship at its center. It's really lovely and really fascinating and unusual in that you don't see this kind of relationship very often. Like, uh, it, maybe it's a budding romance, not really. Um, and it's about the growth of this character. So Andrew Barth Feldman is terrific in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's he's terrific. And to watch uh, that character of Percy start out as kind of a bundle of uh, cliches, and then by the end of the movie, he's a full-grown character, and he's made some changes. And so has Jennifer Lawrence's character, and it's about these two people who are damaged in some way, who have some serious issues, uh, living completely different lives. Um, you know, in not just in age, but in background and in and and in monetary situation, um, uh, and how they bond together and can and connect. And it's beautiful. There are moments in the movie that are really beautiful, and I think the relationship between the Jennifer Lawrence's character and Andrew Barth Feldman's character is is one of the best relationships I've seen in a movie all year. The supporting stuff, as you mentioned, Natalie Morales is hilarious. Scott MacArthur, they're both fantastic in it. Uh, Laura Benetti and um, uh, and Matthew Broderick as the parents are are very very funny in it. Uh, and it's a miracle of some sort that made me laugh at Kyle Mooney. I don't know how the hell that uh, <laughs> happened. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's just, uh, and, uh, Hassan Maja, uh, uh, Minaj is in this yeah. and then he's hilarious. He's got a small role and he's hilarious. Lots of great supporting laughs in it. And yet, and it go, and it goes for the R rating. There's a lot of raunchy stuff. There's also a hilarious scene where she goes to like a, uh, like a, a high school slash early college party and 
and what happens with phones and, 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 and the way teenagers are now and, you know, people in their early 20s are now with social media and the phones. That's devastatingly funny um, and, and, and really uh, ripping apart the generation that we're in now. Um, and uh, and, and uh, there are a lot of big laughs. And I also love the fact that, like, they're advertising this movie, oh, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, and the nude scene that Jennifer Lawrence has in this movie is beautifully done because it's not what you think it is. Um, you know, you see this movie and you're like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence is going to get naked. And every time there's a scene in the movie where she's trying to seduce him, you don't see her naked. The scene where you do see her, the nude scene that she does have <laughs> is a scene where she attacks people on the beach and beats the shit out of them. And it's, and it's not an appropriate, it's not a sexy moment at all. Uh, and I think that that is done on purpose and done purposely and hilariously. And I think that's why Jennifer Lawrence is like, yeah, I'll do this completely nude scene where I'm suplexing people on the beach. Uh, instead of like a seductive, sexy scene. And I think a lot of people who go and see this movie are going to be pissed because that's not what happens in the movie. I think a lot of people are going to walk into this movie thinking it's going to be sexy time with Jennifer Lawrence, and it's not. It's not at all. And I think, I think we've already seen reaction to that, where people who are saying it's not like hard R enough and there's not enough, yeah. Jennifer, Lawrence, not enough Jennifer Lawrence boobs Nonsense. and stuff, which is a bunch of crap because that's not what the movie's about. But get the butts in the seats and give them a good story, and that's what they get. I, I, I think it's terrific. I, uh, I really do. I'm a big fan of it. So uh, I think it's mm -hmm. great. And, and I'm just happy to see Jennifer Lawrence back in a big lead role. And like her, you know, like this is the first movie she's done in a long time in a big lead that she's done in a long time. And I love that she did this movie. You know what I mean? I love that she did like, <laughs> like a hard R-rated sort of sex yeah. comedy that really turns out to be a wonderful showcase for her talent. Um, surprisingly in theater, in, surprisingly in, sweet movie. In theaters, at least. Let's well, not forget about Causeway. Yeah. No, no, no. She was great. Yeah, sure. you're right. She was fantastic yeah. in that. And, and uh, her mm -hmm. and, and Brian Tyree Henry, who got himself an Oscar nomination for that as well. Yep. No, no, no. I should not. I should have not have forgotten about that because she's amazing in that. But I just love the fact that, like, she's on the big screen doing this big kind of over-the-top R-rated sex comedy. And she's doing mm -hmm. fabulous work in it. It's, uh, it's yep. a terrific movie. I just, all the way around, no hard feelings. I really enjoyed it as well. So all three of us like that one. Cool. All right, now the next movie is a big one. It's probably one of the biggest ones of the summer, one of the most anticipated movies of the year and the summer. Um, it is the latest chapter in the Indiana Jones series. This is the fifth one, right? Yeah, the mm -hmm. fifth one. No, uh, Indiana it's Jones. Fourth. It's only the fourth. We don't count the fourth one. We don't oh, really? stop okay. Well, if, stop if we were going to not, if we were going to not, if we were going to not, if we were going to not count them, then this is the third, as far as I'm concerned. Oh um, God! But uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny far, right. is uh, is the latest in the uh, in the Indiana Jones film series. Uh, it is directed by James Mangold. It is not directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, Mangold, terrific director who's done some great movies in the past, and uh, this is the latest. With Harrison Ford back as Indy. Steve, tell us about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Where to begin? Okay, I'll begin at the beginning. Okay, so it opens up with this huge action set piece set in 1944. Uh, Indiana Jones is helping out, a, a, a still played by Harrison Ford, helping out a colleague named Basil Shaw, played by uh, Toby Jones. Um, against, uh, And he's sort of trying to acquire uh, an artifact from... Uh, a, a Nazi named Jorgen Voller, who's played by Ma uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, it's a it's a dial, a mysterious dial known as the I'm trying to remember the name, the Antikythera, I think it's called. A um, Antikythera, yeah. Antikythera. Okay, close enough. All right. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, it's their fault for naming it something unpronounceable. Anyway, <laughs> so so they so it sort of just sort sort of vanishes, and then like so we then we jump in. So of course, because it's set in '44. All of the those three actors, uh, I believe it's not just uh, Harrison Ford, but I think all three of the actors get the de-aging 
process done. So we get like a kind of a period action sequence is is pretty good. It's a good opening, at least. Um, although we'll, we'll get into reasons I think it's not as not that great. But anyway, um, so then we jump ahead 25 years to 1969. Uh, jo uh, Jones is sort of uneasy over the fact that the government has recruited a former Nazi, uh, this former Nazi Voller, to help beat the Soviet Union in a competition to make a space. Voller now worked for NASA, I guess, or some early configuration of NASA. Anyway, um, he's he's about to be, he's still teaching, but he's about to retire. He's about to be forced to retire um, because of opposition to to his, like, opinions on, anyway. So, so, then right at this retirement, surprisingly, Basil's daughter, uh, Helena, shows up. Uh, Jones's goddaughter, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, and she sort of accompanies him on a journey looking for this, this dial. Um, we're not exactly sure what the importance of the dial is or why, what it does that maybe we're not being told it does. But they, they get there, believe me. Um, so anyway... Um, I somehow okay so Voller is kind of his if I'm if I'm, rem, if I'm deciphering this correctly he actually is he thinks he's trying to make the world a better place or at least a place he sees as a better place uh, by acquiring this thing but again we don't exactly know what it does so so this so, so there's like you know chase scenes and the the dial sort of changes hands every every so often um, but of course it's all. It, it all basically leads to us. We're going to see what this dial does, no matter how many times it changes hands. So um, this is the first Indiana Jones movie made since Disney purchased Lucasfilm. So, of course, there's like an entire the entire prologue has de-aging. Uh, the movie also has elements of time travel and multiverse talk. They have layered these formulas that they have used in their superhero movies on top of this very, what used to be a very grounded hero and made him what is basically an aging superhero. Um, the action sequences are mostly shot at night in the dark to cover up a lot of special effects usage. So gone or mostly gone the practical effects that these movies used to be known for. Um, except in one... There's sort of like a chase, a, a chase sequence using motorized pedicabs, which are which is done in the daylight, and I think it's the best action sequence in the film. Um, and it look, even though it probably isn't totally practical, at least looks practical. Um, so, like as an action movie, though, it's not like special like they used to be. I don't think what the film is really about. I think, and this is these are the moments where I thought it was its most interesting is about clinging to the past and the dangers of clinging to the past and and whether that's nostalgia or ancient artifacts or literally trying to change history in some cases and when the film acknowledges that it works um i think mangold has a pretty solid track record especially in recent years so this this kind of it's certainly a competently shot film but i i just i i got i felt like very little emotional connection to it um antonio banderas shows up in the middle of this thing as some like old friend of indiana jones who who basically lends him a boat and some scuba gear and then he's done um jonathan reese davies shows back up again as sala but it seems very i don't know he doesn't really do much he just shows up at the beginning and then somewhere else later in the film um 
I know Boyd Holbrook is in this movie as Voller's kind of right-hand man, but I couldn't tell you a single thing he did in this movie. And I don't know, are, are we talking about what happened, who shows up at the end? I don't know. But um, is that, I don't even know if that's something no. I, I won't, but you guys can. Anyway, but I look, you know, you look on IMDb and, sh and that person is literally the second in the cast list. So anyway, it's not a secret, yeah, but I'm not going to read it. Yeah, let's not mention it. I mean, it's... It's out there, but I'm not going to mention it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's but anyway, yeah. but it's and it's it's great, but it's also too little, too late, I think, in my estimation. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, 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 I didn't dislike it as much as I did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but I, I don't, I can't imagine myself going back to pay money to see this one again. So yeah, this is this was another letdown for me. Okay, all right, uh, Eric. Ah, uh, okay. Well, here comes the moment where we discover if Eric uh, can like an Indiana yeah, I, Jones movie that was not directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm here to say that I did. I did like the film. Uh, I think that there are elements of the movie that Steve touched upon that I think... Uh, the, the film, to me, is definitely missing the kind of Spielberg touch that uh, I, I and so many people who have grown up with these movies are fully aware of. Uh, Mangold is doing a more serviceable job of telling the story than he is uh, doing anything with kind of interesting filmmaking techniques and whatnot. Uh, I think I think the action scenes are mostly uh, well done. I like the opening Rolex scene. I think that there's a lot of fun stuff in that. That uh, car chase uh, in the middle of the, of, the, of the film definitely is the best action scene in the movie. Uh, and, and other things in the movie I thought were, were fine with that. I wish the screenplay, I wish this, they, they had found uh, someone to do another polish on the screenplay as far as dealing with a lot of those regret issues that Steve talked about. And you know, maybe they recognize the idea of you know battling nostalgia while doing a movie that in, in so many ways is going to hit that nostalgia bone for so many of us uh but a lot of that stuff is interesting and i think ford does a really great job of selling uh those moments uh particularly when we find out uh reasons of why you know a certain character is not present uh in this movie uh i think there's a great scene where we we find out that information uh, which then leads, you know, to something much later. Um, and I and I and I really liked those moments. I appreciated those moments. Um, I, you know, the the ultimate, you know, denouement of the Dial of Destiny, the Antikythera, uh, I, I I thought was great. Uh, I really, I just I, when Indiana figures out something on the this plane about what the bad guys think might be happening with this thing. Uh, I really just kind of leapt up in my chair. I'm like, okay, this, that's pretty, that's a great little twist on things. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I said, there, I mean, there are elements in the movie where you, you just, you miss Spielberg and what he would bring and the, the sort of the connection that he has with Ford. Uh, but I think Phoebe Waller bridge, I think brings a lot to this movie. I think she is really terrific. She makes a great uh, foil slash partner for Indiana through most of the movie. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, everything that she did uh, from from top to bottom. Uh, yeah, it's in my estimation of the Indiana Jones movies. You know, neither Crystal Skull nor this lives up to that original trilogy. Um, but I, as a full-on defender of Crystal Skull, uh, I am a full-on defender of Dial of Destiny, and I don't think it needs that much defending. I think it's it, it's a fine adventure film uh with a, a hero that we've all grown up and loved most of us anyway uh and uh and i'm definitely recommending it to people 
I hated it. Um, there we go. I, yeah, no, it's 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 terrible. Uh, the, the thing is, like you mentioned it, the 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 whole opening sequence, uh, Steve. You know, um, uh, with the de aging and the CGI and all that stuff. It's it may as well have been a fucking cartoon. The first fifteen minutes of the movie. And one of the great things about the first two movies um, are the practical. Uh, effects are the fact that there are guys stuntmen actually underneath trucks and actually climbing on tanks and doing stuff there's none of that the first the first you know the first 15 minutes of this movie one i'm completely distracted by the whole de-aging of mads mickelson and uh and Harrison Ford to the point where it's completely distracting and the action sequence the whole train thing they've done stuff on top of a train in 8 million movies before there's nothing new about it uh, oh, it's it's Indiana Jones trying to get a hold of something that some bad guy is trying to get, which is the plot of every single one of these movies. Um, and that whole opening setup, I didn't give a shit about any of it, and I thought it was really poorly done. Um, James Mangold is not James Mangold directing this movie. He is doing an imitation of Spielberg, so it's not a James Mangold movie in the in the true sense of what makes this guy a really interesting and good filmmaker. His personality is not present in any frame of this movie, and that's a terrible thing. Uh, so establishing the opening with a terrible flashback, a, a, an action sequence that's filled with CGI, and it's not like you can't do that kind of stuff nowadays, you know, because this John Wick movie came out like two months ago or three months ago, and you can do real cars and real car chases and mix it in with CGI and special effects and make it look great and not like a fucking cartoon, which is what most of the action sequences in this movie look like. And the last 20 minutes of this movie goes into <laughs> such batshit absurdity where, I mean, I, and like you said, uh, Steve, I, is it necessary for every goddamn movie on the planet to have a multiverse time travel fucking subplot? Do they really have to bring it into an Indiana Jones movie? Get out of here. You got Mads Mikkelsen. It made me miss the aliens from the last movie. I mean, I, well, let's not get crazy. I mean, but let, and, and not only that, Mads Mikkelsen is like one of the best actors on the planet. Nothing. He does, they give him absolutely nothing to do in this movie. He's the least interesting villain in a series of movies that have had some very uninteresting villains. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, my patience with her was up, I don't know, 15 minutes in. Uh, and I just kept waiting for her to talk to the camera and wink like she does on... Uh, on Fleabag. I was just waiting. There was nothing that she has done on Fleabag that was any different than she did here. Uh, and I and I totally, Eric, disagree with you about Harrison Ford. He does not even want to be there. I mean, it's just like, I'm old and I don't give a shit and he's going to play it that way. And that's fine because for most of the screenplay, it's written that way. He's an old dude and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of life has passed him by. People he knew have passed on and the things that he was holding on to, he shouldn't hold on to anymore and all of that stuff. And all those themes are obviously hammered into your head for two hours and it's fucking two hours and 35 minutes long. Um, now, the very end of the movie, like the last five minutes of the film, um, it has a very lovely uh, ending. It has a lovely ending and this person that we're not talking about comes back and this person is probably one of the greatest things about the first movie uh, and 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 when that happens, it's really nice, and there's a nice little callback to one of the lovely scenes in the original Raiders movie, and they do a really nice job with that. But that's after sitting through two and a half hours of crap, and I was just like, I can't... So finally, at the very end, you've got this lovely little moment. Um, so I just, I thought the action... And it's not like you can't do great action scenes... Um, like pre like the, the scene that you guys were both talking about with the mini carts flying around in the... In the, in the town that now looks like every town in every action movie 
you know, <laughs> that's in every, there has to be a moment like that, that, you know, that I, you know, that's, that, that all of those, they look like the same set that about 27 different action movies have played on. Um, including that movie, what's what's the movie with the Fantastic Beasts? That's another one that did. It looked like the same goddamn <laughs> set that they used for Fantastic Beasts. So yes, that scene is is kind of nicely done. But the rest of them, I didn't care about what was going on. There's obvious CGI uh, uh, stuff that's in it that's really poorly handled. The director has no his personality is completely sucked out of it. I didn't care about anything that was happening. It's not. I will say this: it's not as horrible as the last one, but it's still really, really bad. <laughs> really bad and uh and i don't know i mean i i imagine that i mean well i mean i know you know like eric you i mean listen you like the la- you like the one before this so i don't even I know did. yeah i don't even know what the hell's going on in your brain but what are the what what's the what's the what's the the um the the, the feeling here on this one i mean are you know are, are people liking it i don't even know what the critical response is it's generally very mixed um okay. and and which is it's actually i mean the, the the thing about Crystal Skull that I've said, I know there there are people that passionately hate the movie, like you. I think you're the the the, the grandmaster champion of that, Nick. Well, I mean the uh, last, but the, the last, but, I like, I kind of hate all the last three, but that's just me. I know. So. Well, hating Last Crusade, that's insane. I don't know what's going on in your no. brain for that one, but uh, but. But no, there there are pe- there are people very much on your side for Crystal Skull. But if you go back and look at the reviews of that one, they're actually not bad. They're actually fairly good, and I think it's one of these things where it's almost like a Mandela effect that the the hatred and the the fact that it was the lesser of the four movies has sort of taken over in the cultural zeitgeist that everyone thinks that that movie was so poorly received, when in fact it wasn't. This is actually the most poorly received of all of them, and it just happens to be the one that Spielberg did direct. Just oh, saying. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, I mean, it doesn't go. It's Okay. And then you mentioned uh, uh, Antonio Banderas. Why the fuck is he even in this? It's the biggest. He's he's like one of the greatest and most charismatic yeah. actors on the planet. And what is he doing in this movie? Clearly, paycheck. And I thought the one moment in the movie where they're like, like when they were on this boat and stuff, and then finally you kind of get an establishment of who this guy is. Like, oh, cool, we're gonna have a nice underwater adventure with Antonio Banderas. That goes nowhere. He's gone. Like, what the? F- oh man. I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I haven't liked one. I, I listen. I haven't liked one of these fucking movies since 1984. So that's yeah. I, so I don't I don't no. know I don't know what to tell you. So I, uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, once this thing comes out next week, um, I'm sure it'll do gangbuster. I mean, it'll sure it'll do huge numbers. Um, but I'll be interested to see what uh, the fans think of it. So I don't know. But anyway, it opens next week, not this week. It does open uh, next right. week. So. There you go. We live and, in a uh, world where people like the National Treasure movies, so I don't really have a lot of faith in people. Yeah, well, I don't like those movies either, so I don't know what. Wow. <laughs> and but they're well, but right to me, that. no, but to me, they're on the same fucking level. The last three of these movies are on the same level. I would rather watch the first National Treasure than these three, these last three. Uh, Indiana oh, that's, Jones. Movies. That's insane. Well, but that's how much I don't I, like the Indiana Jones movies. I know. So that's, I know. I mean, Insanity. So, uh. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway. All right, but the last five minutes is cool. Like when that person showed up, I went, "Oh, good!" And then it was over. So there you go. But I did I tell you, cried. Eric. I was sitting next to you uh, yes. afterwards, and I did say that there is one thing that I told you that if they did, I would have yes. killed everybody in the theater if they would have done it. Right, and I would have, I would have been with you on yeah. that, Nick. I would, yeah. I would, I didn't. Okay. That you, what you said could have happened. Um, I agree with that. Uh, and, but you also said that John Williams' score is fantastic. Oh, I did. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Let so. me. Okay. Just, just so I can say something nice, nice. more nice about the movie go. because Eric is here. 
Uh, I thought John 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 Williams' score is fabulous, and I'm, and it's not and it's not, it is unlike the rest of the movie. It's not a retread. You know what I mean? Like he writes yeah. a beautiful score. You know, we got the callbacks and we got the dun, 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 all that stuff. But outside of that, it is a wonderful score, specifically written uh, and a specific score for this movie. And it's a it is a terrific score. I will say that it's the best part of the movie. It's the last five minutes and a score. So there you go. There you go. That uh, alone makes it better than National Treasure. <laughs> I don't know about that. Let's not. Uh, let's not uh, come on. That. All right. What do we got next time? Next time is what? For, are we on the? Oh, the next time I think we record is on my birthday, I believe. Uh, the next oh, time we record. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what open, what opens on the seventh. Insidious, the red door. Oh God. And joyride. 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 Yeah. Well, all right. Okay. All yeah. right. Joyride. I've seen that. So all right. Um, but well, <laughs> Insidious. Happy birthday to me. All right. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and actually, and actually, Nick, there's a on Netflix that week is this Wham documentary that I'm very yeah. interested in. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All um, right. Cool. All right, cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Uh, Steve Procopi, uh, Eric Childress. We'll talk to you uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, have a great uh, weekend. Cool. Thank you, you too. very much. All right, guys. See you later. All right, there you go. Later. That's uh, Steve Procopi and Eric Childress and the movies. And now it's time to uh, talk to Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Oh, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah. Esmeralda. And that theme means it's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, as we do on every episode of the Nick D podcast here at RadioMisfits.com and .live. Yeah, it's Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. Hello. Hey, uh, speaking of, uh, of .live, uh, RadioMisfits.live is going, go, going, going 24-7. Very nice. Yeah, we should check it out. A lot of, uh, everybody should check it out. Lots of... Uh, a thing from called the Unheard Music uh, Show, which is a whole bunch of really cool music that is unsigned that you haven't heard before. So you hear oh, great music cool. from bands that uh, are are breaking out that uh, that Radio Misfits is playing that are unsigned. So that's really cool stuff you've never heard before. And then episodes of a lot of really great podcasts from here, including this uh, this podcast, which uh, will run which runs daily at three p.m. Uh, Central. And then my SNL podcast, that show hasn't been funny in years, which runs every day at 9 a.m. So, radiomisfits.live. It's the cool 24-7 place to be. Nice. All right. How are you doing, Esmeralda? You good? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Anything happening for the weekend? Um, Not really. Just going to try to lay low. Um, It's going to be a busy weekend. I see from people celebrating stuff, so I'd rather be in my house. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's. I guess a f- summer officially started a couple of days ago with the uh, mm-hmm. the solstice, the summer the solstice, solstice. And, the, and the long day, and now it's the longest, and all the days are going to get shorter, which makes me happier. The shorter the days get, um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, a lot, every every week now, there's going to be something happening. I think, um, you know. So this one, this weekend is the last. Well, this is the last quiet weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on certain streets in the city, 
<laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah. So it's going to be, uh, I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, the teenagers coming out in the middle of the night and holding up traffic and, you know, twerking on cars and, you know, going 90 down side streets. I'm talking about actual NASCARs that are going to be driving around. In addition, yes. in addition to the in, in addition to the disruption that groups of teens are causing downtown, we now have the NASCARs uh, flying around next weekend. So that should be that should be a real treat. So, um, all right. Well, uh, I am as we as we record this uh, tonight is the night that I'm going to see Sarah Sherman um, at Talia Hall. Uh, Sarah Squirm or Sarah Sherman from. Mm-hmm. People know her from SNL. Um, she's nuts. I think people who are going to go tonight, um, because they're just familiar with the funny stuff she does on SNL, right? Are going to be like, "What the fuck did I just get yeah, myself?" Yeah, they're going to be because <laughs> <laughs> you're familiar with her, and um, mm-hmm. uh, her shit is weird and gross and crazy, and I love it. Um, I, I would I would describe her as the sort of the David Cronenberg of stand-up comedy. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, she does very, very out there crazy shit. And I'm telling you, a lot of the SNL fans who are going to show up and go, oh, she's really funny when she makes fun of Colin Jost and she's really cute and she's funny. <laughs> uh, you know, by the time there's like raw meat on stage and she's doing weird shit with it, people are going to be like, what am I, why am I here in the middle of Pilsen <laughs> watching this? What is happening in my life? So it's going to be interesting to see what, how people how people respond. Have you ever gone to something, Esmeralda? Have you ever gone to like a show or a concert or something? Um, and clearly the people there are like, wait, this isn't... Or maybe it even happened to you. Like you went and you went, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. What is this? Or people around you were like, man, I don't... I was not prepared at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's been times when I've gone to some artsy-fartsy things that I just did not know what was going to happen, but I didn't yeah. think that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I remember one, it was like they were under some kind of tarp or something, and I think they were playing music under the tarp, but then I think the tarp was growing. Yeah, so then there was like lights and stuff, I think. So the tarp was um, like they were covered by the tarp? Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. you couldn't see them. They're performing underneath a cover. No, but I think the tarp was, it wasn't a tarp tarp. It was just some kind of like big thing they were under. And you could kind of see them, I think. You could see their shadow because there was lights inside and there was all this stuff. But I think it was also growing. I don't fully remember. I just remember just being like, okay. <laughs> well, what was the, What I mean, how, how did you end up there? Um, It was at a bar. It oh, was a I, thing, okay. I, um, I forget what they were doing. Okay. Um, aside from that, but they were just like one of the acts. One of the acts, and you were just kind of like, well, this is not at all um, what I thought I would see in a bar tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I expect uh, uh, I expect a, a, a portion of people tonight. Not everybody, because I think, you know, because she had, uh, Sarah had a very big following here for years in Chicago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the underground comedy scene. And so those people are all going to show up. Like, you know, I'm a fan. I've been a fan, so I'm one of those people. But there are going to be there's going to be that small group who have just been turned on to her over the past couple of seasons on SNL, and they're going to be like, I have I don't know what she's doing right now with the with the with the worms and the raw meat and the blood. I don't know mm-hmm. what's go- I have no idea what's happening. So anyway, well that should be fun. So I will I'll give you a full report on on how Sarah Squirm um, made everybody sick. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's funny because uh, what's that uh, Jeff Hoover guy that Jeff Hoover guy over on Channel Nine. 
Mm-hmm. He does the morning thing. He had posted on social media that he was like, I wasn't familiar. I'm only familiar with her uh, from SNL. And he's not even really familiar with her on SNL. doesn't really watch SNL that much. And he's like, mm-hmm. I read somewhere that uh, her act has made people vomit. What's what's going on? And I was wow. And I was going to be like, well, dude, you don't know who she is. You clearly are not familiar with her. <laughs> also, um, you know, you have a little computer in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, yeah that exactly. literally you can yeah. find everything. You can, all you got to do is just, just FYI. <laughs> Sarah Squirm. And, and by the way, if you don't know who she is outside of SNL, you can just Google Sarah Squirm, which is what she, you know, went by in the comedy world. Her real name is Sarah Sherman, but uh, Sarah Sherman. Um, but like if you just Google Sarah, Sarah Squirm, you can see videos. There's like a ton of them, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a pretty good example of how weird she gets because she's weird, man. So, and I love her. So I'm excited about that. Anyway, I don't. I hope she doesn't perform under a tarp. That would be very. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't get the full Sarah Squirm experience no, if she was under no, a tarp. No, she is very visual, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. You know, it was funny. It's we extra to get under the tarp. <laughs> yeah, if you, I'd love to get under the tarp with Sarah. That'd be fantastic. Um, so we were uh, doing the, uh, you know, they have this, uh, they have movie trivia uh, uh, brunch mm-hmm. every Sunday at the Music Box in the Lounge. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric and uh, and our friend uh, Morgan Geyer, they host a, a podcast together called... Uh, Oh, what the hell is it? Oh, my God. It's a uh, The Friendship Dilemma is the name of the podcast mm-hmm. that they host. I was a guest on it one time, talking about Mad Max, Fury Road. Um, but they're friends, and they do the movie trivia thing every Sunday at the Music Box, and I sometimes do it with them um, from the beginning or sometimes like halfway through because the, the, the movie trivia starts at 1 o'clock, and I often go to the 11.30 a.m. matinee at the Music Box. And afterwards, I'll just kind of walk my way in and play trivia with them. And uh, we were we were playing trivia, and uh, I can't remember what they what one of the questions was about music or something mm-hmm. in in a movie. And uh, what was the name of the music movement in the late '80s or the '80s that wasn't quite um, new wave and it wasn't quite punk? And it was um, called uh, it was called shoegaze, shoegazing. Oh yeah. Um, and that yeah, was yeah. when yeah yeah, and I and I just couldn't remember the 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 uh, the actual phrase, but that's when I didn't know was, that was how you described like yeah. how people could describe it. Yeah, it was called shoegazing because like bands. No, but like between new wave and punk, like I never would have thought that. Well, it was kind it kind of fell in that time frame, but it wasn't either of those things. It could be described as new wave, and it could be described as punk, the style of music. Mm-hmm. But it's neither, and there was a name for it, and it was called, I guess it's called shoegazers or shoegazing. And that's yeah. when everybody comes out, the band comes out, they're all depressed, they're all looking down at their shoes. You know what I mean? That's yeah, they don't want right. to the audience. Um, and one of the bands that falls into that category is Jesus and Mary Chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I saw Jesus, I've seen Jesus, and Mary, I'm a fan of Jesus and Mary Jane. And I kind of actually, you know, once we started talking about it, I was like, wow, I, I like shoegazer bands. I wasn't really aware of that, but I, <laughs> I happened to you mentioning all the names of these bands. I'm like, yeah, I like most of those bands. Um, and I remember seeing, we were, cause this brought, this came into my mind cause you were talking about the band that you saw or the people that you saw performing underneath a blanket or a tarp or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Which is, that goes way past shoegazing. That's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> tarp gazing. Tar- you know. tar- you're you're gazing uh, at a tarp. Um, but no, uh, one time I went to see Jesus and Mary Chain at the Metro. Um, and they, they had their backs to the audience the whole show. Mm, so they went, okay. they went past shoegazing to just like, here are our backs. And they yeah. had, well, no they, one's going to look at them technically. Right. So, so why look at y'all? <laughs> they did the whole show with their backs to the audience. Like, uh, hmm. um, yeah. And you know, a, a lot, you know, like people were like, what is this? This is so stupid. And people started booing them and stuff. They didn't care. They, Wow, <laughs> they had their backs to the audience. So and then, but then, like there were people who were into it who were like, "Yeah, they should have their backs to the audience, man. People suck." You know, it was that kind of thing. <laughs> so, mm, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they went from shoegazing to just backs to the audience, and that's yeah. You know, so I guess that's something that you, like, people don't expect. I, I and I would imagine that Sarah tonight's not gonna have her back to the audience. I think at some point she will. Because she's probably going to be ripping something out of her head, you know, and she wants everybody to see it from behind. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, Jesus and Mary Chain, shoegazers. <laughs> mm. Shoegazers. Yeah, an interesting name for a, for a music movement. Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How you doing, Carrie? Hi, Hi I'm Carrie Hi. Russell, and I oh. love Nick's show. She's staring down at her shoes right now. I don't know what's going on with her. Oh. But I hope she's She okay. heard you talking. She did. She, oh, and she's got a Jesus and Mary Chain t-shirt on. Okay, good Oh, you. wow. There you well, go. there okay. you go. Right. Hi, I'm I, Carrie right, Russell, Carrie. and I love right, Nick's Carrie. show. All right. Goodness. Right. See you in a bit. Yeah. She works. Yeah. What were you saying? She, she works so fast. Yeah, she does. She yeah. Knows her, she, knows her, she knows her t-shirt audience, man. She wants to get right on it. Yes, she oh. does. Uh, here's a guy who does not uh, uh, gaze at his uh, shoes. And gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Yeah. Uh, do we know where he is now? Have we uh, uh, have we gotten to the Jama- have we gotten to Jamaica yet? Or, or is, there, or is that- oh yeah, we were, oh, we're, we're we were already past- in Jamaica. Come on, oh, you don't sorry. remember? It was no, fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was, was a great uh, time. Oh good. All right, I'm glad we had a. <laughs> good it was time. wonderful. We were in Jamaica. Yeah, man. <laughs> there it is. All right, all right. Well, the, I mean, the, right now we're taking a break. Yeah, we're just the breaking. next. Yes, the next. Uh, the next stop will be in Portugal. Oh, Portugal! On the twenty yes, seventh, right. Portugal yeah. on Tuesday. The 20- okay. So Tuesday will be in. <laughs> we'll be in Portugal. Yeah. With- Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. That's right. There you go. And all then right. after that, Spain, and then we'll be in Italy. Okay. And then we're gonna go to Croatia. That's gonna be fun. Oh, that'll be great. And then that'll back to San Diego. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot that he goes to all those places. No, no clear, like regular, normal itinerary. It's just like random shit. Let's just go here. And I guess it's wherever they'll take him. That's right. All right. Well, there you wherever go. they will have Michael Bolton. <laughs> he will go. He will go. All right. Cool. OK. Uh, so the magic megaphone is this thing that exists where you can leave a message on our voicemail at 773-417-694-8247 or leave an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com and describe something you want me to say into the magic megaphone or do or play or record or something. And we get requests all the time. So, Esmeralda, you ready for the latest magic megaphone request? Mm-hmm. This is Vince in Sauk Village. 
Oh, okay. Vincent Suck Village. Now, I, I'm already going to let you know that this is going to be impossible to uh, to decipher. Um, it was he he wanted this specific line. He was very specific about it. Um, but I, you're not going to know what it is. On I didn't really know what it was, mm-hmm. and then and then when I played it back, I was like, okay, I kind of remember this, but no one is going to know what the fuck this is. So I'm just letting you know now, Esmeralda. You're going to be like, I have no clue. And we, we won't even, I don't even think we'll understand it, like audibly. Mm-hmm. So let me give it a shot. This is Vince from Sock Village, and I will explain what this, uh, what this is and why he wanted it. But this is his magic megaphone request. So listen closely and try to decipher this. So, any idea? Whoa, whoa. Um, something about the Venus de Milo. Oh, you you got that? Okay, okay. All right, you got that part. Mm-hmm. All right, well, wait a minute. Listen to the beginning part then, okay? I'll play it back because the last part is uh, Venus de Milo is mentioned at the end part. But try to figure out, let's see if you can, and, and I'll explain what it is, but here it is again. Listen closely. See if you can. Okay, any idea? No. Yeah, that, okay. that first no. <laughs> it's it's don't bite your nails. You know what happened to Venus de Milo. Ah, okay. See, get it? Because it's a, it's a, it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's don't bite your nails. You know what happened to Venus de Milo. Mm-hmm. So Vince from Sog, <laughs> from Sog Village specifically sent me this clip and was like, please play this, record this part, and play it back. This is from a Dean Martin show in the early 70s. It's Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. And he's being wacky with many of the showgirls that he would have on his, on his, on his specials. Because he would sure. have these attractive showgirls come out, and then he would do comedy bits with them. And one of the showgirls, a very attractive showgirl, screwed up her, her, her bit live on TV. Mm-hmm. And she got nervous, and she started to bite her nails. Mm. And out of nowhere, he said, "Don't bite your nails. You know what happened to Venus de Milo." So this is a. Got it. So, so that was an improvised bit that Dean Martin did, making fun of a showgirl who was nervous while she was chewing her nails, and Vince thinks Vince thinks it's hilarious. So, so Vince wanted to hear that very specific. Dean Martin is one of his favorite performers, Vince says, and I know that you love Martin and Lewis, so I thought you'd appreciate this. Don't bite your nails. You know what happened to Venus de Milo, Dean Martin said. Mm-hmm. And this was like literally from a Dean Martin special from the early 70s, and Vince went that deep. <laughs> so... I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. And I'm a huge Dean Martin, as you know. I'm a huge Dean Martin fan. Yeah, yeah. And a massive uh, Martin and Lewis fan, Dean Martin and, and Jerry Lewis. And Vince took a dive even deeper than I would have. So good for you, Vince <laughs> uh, from Salk Village. Don't bite your nails. Do you know what happened to Venus de Milo? So apparently, according to Dean Martin, uh, Esmeralda, mm-hmm. 
uh, Venus de Milo was so nervous that she chewed off both her arms. Oh, wow. So that's according to, you know. Wow. That's what Dean Martin said. So, <laughs> anyway, all right. That's not a bad line, though, you know, coming off the top of his no. head like that. It's a pretty, it's yeah. a pretty, it's he's a pretty that quick-witted line. man. Yeah, <laughs> quick-witted man, and he loved the ladies. He loved the showgirls. Um, and I watched the entire extended bit, and he was doing this weird thing where, like, he was because he would always be like, he'd come out and he would go, walk into like a fake living room on his show on the mm-hmm. Dean Martin show in the '60s and '70s, uh, late '60s usually. And he'd come out and he'd have like a fake dining room, and it was like the late '60s, so you know what it would look like, like what a what a a, a rich swinging guy's dining room would look like. You can imagine mm-hmm. what a late '60s. Hey, hey, I got broads coming over. You know what I mean? That kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. And he'd come in. He'd go, "Let's go over to the couch." And that was his thing. Like you'd walk over. He would get a drink. He would talk to you while he was getting a drink. Let's go over to the couch. And then he'd sit down on the couch and he would just have a showgirl come in and go, "I like your legs," and she'd leave. And then you know, like Foster Brooks would come in and pretend to be drunk, and they'd do a song together. You know. This was the st- <laughs> this was the stylings, the comic drunk stylings of late '60s, Dean Martin. Right. And uh, so into that mix fell this line: "Don't bite your nails." You know what happened to Venus de Milo. So there you go. Thank you, Vince. I'm glad you're <laughs> glad you're up on things. So there you go. All right. So uh, you remember the last time we were uh, talking about those weird game shows and stuff? Mm-hmm. And we kind of, I, I kind of threw that uh, talk about topic at you, where you were talking about omelets. Yes. And yes. Uh, uh, have you have you seen the show since at all? I have not. I haven't been able to catch it. Yeah, well, it's only on once a day, and it's like seven thirty in the morning. And who the fuck's going to get up at seven o'clock in the morning to watch a weird Canadian game show? So I don't think that that's going <laughs> to. But there are a lot of weird game shows, and we were talking about some of the weirder ones. But uh, mm-hmm. that got me to thinking about some weird, uh, crazy Japanese shows, as I mentioned to you before, mm-hmm. with Screaming Guy, where he would, you know, pop out from behind a wall and go, gay, gay, and scare the hell out of people. Yeah. And yeah. the entire half an hour was that, was just the guy with the crazy suit on screaming. And then there was another one where they would, like, bring a cannon, like I told you, they'd bring a cannon into some sleeping guy's bedroom and blow the wall off of his bedroom with the cannon just to wake him mm-hmm. up. <laughs> and so we've had those kind of weird-ass shows. Like, if you look at stuff like um, Eric Andre, like, Eric, I think the Eric Andre yeah. show. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And those stunt shows that, you know, your jackasses and, and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. Tom Green, Tom Green falls into that category, definitely. We're in, inspired by that kind of lunacy. And I happen to love uh, Eric Andre. Uh, and by the way, uh, speaking of, of Sarah, Sarah Squirm used to uh, work for Eric Andre's show and write for him. Um, oh, which that makes sense. Makes total, <laughs> makes total sense. Makes total sense. But that kind of thing. And then uh, some of the weirder TV shows. But then uh, I, I was checking out this uh, article in The Wrap Mm-hmm. That is titled 25 Bonkers Reality Competition Shows That You Forgot Existed. And so I was taking a look at that and I sent it to you as part of this. And I remember some of these, but I don't remember all of them. Are there, what are the ones that stand out for you and maybe some that you remember that maybe I don't? Because, I mean, there was a period of time, especially in the early aughts, where, you know, like late 90s, early aughts, where they were doing some of the most craziest and questionable shit 
on reality competition shows, especially on Fox. A lot of the weirdest ones were on Fox. But do you remember any of the ones that uh, that that are part of this? Um, I definitely remember them doing uh, Joe Millionaire. Yeah, and then like he's not really a millionaire. <laughs> right. That I was. The, they had another one. That too, was the. Didn't that they? was the the bit. Right. Like all the women there were under the impression that this douchebag was a millionaire, and then. They, he romanced them all, did your basic, mm-hmm. you know, reality show love connection thing. And then at the end, it's revealed that the guy was like, he made like $20,000 a year, you know, like sweeping a, a street or something. Yeah. Well, we also, we have to acknowledge the fact that most of these reality shows came out of the writer's strike. <laughs> right, which we are currently in. Yeah, and we had one before in 2007, in 2008, and a lot of these came out from there. So just, we haven't learned our lesson. No. Uh, And so expect some pretty ridiculous game shows, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's it's already sort of the, what's going on with the fall schedule has already been kind of affected by this, by the fact that like actually right about now, um, end of June, early July is when mm-hmm. Big Big Brother normally begins. And as you know, I'm a huge Big Brother fan. Um, and it's been delayed by over a month because they want it to last longer into the fall season because they don't have anything to back it up. Ah. So Big Brother normally would be starting now three nights a week. And you know how I've, I love Big Brother. It's, it's my favorite yeah. bullshit reality show. I love it. And uh, but it's not starting until uh, the first weekend in August. That's when it first starts. It actually starts the night, the night I show up at for flashback. That's when it starts. <laughs> That's when it starts. And normally we'd be a month in by that point. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that's happening. And in addition to the fact that we'll see a bunch of stupid, dipshit reality shows and stuff, but now they're moving Big Brother. Um, and the and the actual people moving into the house, they're moving it back two months so that they can get more mileage out of it in the fall when they don't have any real things. Right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. But yeah, but Joe Millionaire, all these dumbass things. But Joe Millionaire, I remember Joe Millionaire uh, was a big one. And then, um, now here's one. Also on Fox, also the same year as Joe Millionaire, Mr. Personality. Now, I vaguely remember this. Um, Mr. Personality was hosted by Monica Lewinsky. And it was a dating show. And the premise was that a, a one woman was surrounded by 20 smiling men with metallic face masks on, covering their mm-hmm. faces. But they were weird, like scary metallic masks. And uh, she had to like the people. She had to like the guys based entirely on their personality because they were hid- their looks were hidden under these creepy metallic masks. Of course, yeah. And it was <laughs> Mr. Personality. And then at the end, you know, like the person that you, like if you cut somebody loose and they take off their mask and they're hot, oh, uh, you fucked up. You know what I mean? Like you cut, yeah. a, you cut a hot guy. You could have had a hot guy. And then, I mean, they're doing that now. So they have that um, that dating show where they're hiding behind, like they got them in rooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's called Love is Blind. Oh, right. Okay. That's the same thing. So, right? 
This well, this one's it. I think it's better because it's not with the creepy masks. <laughs> right. That's that's the thing. I mean, that was the thing that I remember. I never watched Mr. Personality, or maybe I did watch a little bit of it, um, uh, because of the masks. Because I was intrigued by how creepy they look. Because they look. If you look mm-hmm. at, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a picture. Yeah, it's and very man, man in the iron mask. It's, it's just missing it, the mouth bit. <laughs> yeah, it just looks terrifying. They look, they look, they look really creepy. It's and these um, guys- it's giving me uh, who's the bad guy in the Fantastic Four? <laughs> in the Fantastic Four, I don't know. Uh, the not the Silver Surfer. He's a good guy though, right? Isn't he? No, it's um, God, it's played by the guy from uh, Nip Tuck. <laughs> That's not going to help me at all. Um, he was the villain in Fantastic Four. Yes. I don't have no idea. I got it. I have to plead. I have no idea. The less, the less I'm exposed to comic book movies, the happier I am in the world. So I don't. I can't help you with that. But he looks terrifying. These guys, Mister Personality. Yeah. He, oh, he looks like um. So it's Doctor Doom. Oh, do- if anyone okay, knows no, who no, Doctor no. Doom, right. he okay. looks like they look like Doctor Doom. They do. All the guys look like Doctor Doom. And the funny thing was, if I remember correctly, that like they had to wear these masks even when they were like swimming and shit, so they like could walk yeah, around because you know they, they could walk around <laughs> with speedos and stuff, or like regular like, hey, I'm gonna go to the barbecue, and we're wearing like Hawaiian shirts. They still got these mm-hmm. metal masks on their <laughs> on their face. I think I was intrigued because Monica Lewinsky was the host, and I and I really like yeah. Monica, and I like her, and I, I and um and I always like rooted for her because she got fucked over so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and do you remember the the you know you remember like uh one of the greatest pieces of television, and one of the coolest things that ever happened in a fair way to Monica Lewinsky. You know who was responsible? Do you remember the Tom Green episode with uh with Monica Lewinsky? I do not. Oh my god, it's fantastic. It's it is it's brilliant. Um because they complete Tom Tom Green completely fucks over the press. Uh and and makes Monica Lewinsky makes them look like jagoffs and makes Monica Lewinsky look great. It's really yeah. it's it's fantastic. Uh-huh. Cuz if anybody understands how to really screw you know social stuff like that, it, it's Tom Green. And he took Monica Lewinsky, who he felt was betrayed and treated horribly by by the government and by the press and by an image that was really unfair for this for this girl. He took all of that and and turned it into a um, a trick on the press who followed them around because this mm-hmm. was at the time when she couldn't go anywhere without being followed by paparazzi and stuff for yeah. years. Um, and he did an entire special. The Monica Lewinsky special, which they thought was going to be like the revealing of an affair or she was going to say this or make these kind of statements. And it ended up being uh, them announcing her business selling handbags. And yeah. that's yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Okay. It was genius. It was absolute genius. <laughs> and she was great on it. And she was hilarious. She had a great time with it. And they, they totally screwed over the, the, you know, the just horrible press and the paparazzi and the vultures out there totally screwed them over and had a great time doing it. And it was, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was mentioned, um, you know, like at the end of that television year as one of the best TV specials of all time and, and a great way to invert um, social commentary about, about the press and about government. It's a great, it was great. So, and, and, and I remember this was, this Mr. Personality, I think, was right after that. 
Mm, okay. Uh, um. So, but, but yeah. So I think that's so. Mr. Personality, uh, Average Joe is another one. I remember that one. Um. Now I don't know Forever Eden. Uh no, and I'm looking it up now because I'm like confused as to how it's a reality show, <laughs> or it's or a contest. Because um, it's it says Forever Eden shared many similarities with its predecessor Paradise Hotel, with the exception that the show's premise allowed for the contestants to stay in Eden for years at a time. Yeah, which I'm just like, well, how long did this damn thing run? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe they just stayed there when the cameras were off. They still live there, but now it's not a show anymore. Maybe that's Yeah, well, uh it did get essentially canceled like mid like two months in. Um if I look at the Wikipedia, they had a whole lot more episodes that went unaired. I see. So <laughs> So Forever Eden so... That was on Fox and it there was two thousand four and that was like right at the time when you're Mr. Personalities and all that other stuff. Yeah, were, so this were. one was just, essentially, it was, you would get money the longer you stayed. With assholes on an island. Yeah, well, at this resort. A resort, okay, so you're on an asshole resort with a bunch of assholes, and you get more money the longer you stay. Yes, and if you <laughs> left, you wouldn't get anything. Um. So yeah, and then they would keep introducing people apparently like new people into the mix and all this so i guess in the end i mean you technically could never win really because if they kept introducing people yeah new contestants and stuff but if you're you know i mean they they, they you know the people who are on these reality shows do get paid i think scale or you get some sort of you know compensation for being there so if you can just like spend like seven months on an island just appearing on a TV show and they provide you with a little compensation and food, then there's nothing. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> you've, right. got no, you've got nothing else going on in your life. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll go live on an island and be filmed or not filmed for a couple of years. <laughs> so, I, don't know. I don't know. Now this one, the next one, uh, the Swan. Now this is the one that mm-hmm. I, that I, I asked you about yesterday when I was texting you about it. I remember this one being notorious and I watched, like I think one full episode of it, and then mm-hmm. it be, and it was I mean it was everywhere in terms of like in the news and editorials being made. They did a bit, uh, they did a hilarious bit on SNL. Um, uh, Amy Poehler uh, uh, played one of the contestants, and the Swan was you had two women, and you gave them complete surgical makeovers. Yeah. Or something, and it was slammed by critics and all kinds of stuff. So it was like, you are ugly, you're fat, or whatever. You've got no breasts. Go to the Swan. We will exploit your, you know, what you think are your, are are um are your flaws. We will exploit them, and then we'll pay for surgery so that you can magically have giant tits and fake nose. And uh, and that was the Swan because you 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 went from an ugly duckling to a to a Swan. Yeah. Yeah, so they would do all all manners of uh, plastic surgery to make you over. Yeah, there was nothing. So it was literally they would make over two people uh, over a three-month period. And then whoever was the most attractive at the end of the three months would move on to a beauty 
uh, pageant. Right. That oh. was held at the end of the season. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then whoever whoever <laughs> got the most votes would get the title of the Swan. I... So this had like no redeemable. It was Nothing. literally let's it's fix trash. up this lady and let's yeah. see who's prettier. And then in the end, the winner didn't even win. Um, technically, or they won on a technicality because one of them look, was caught with a mirror, which you weren't allowed to, I guess, till the end because it's supposed to be a huge. That's right. Surprise. It's a big reveal. You so don't. Then know the what other you, person yeah. won by default. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I I remember. I mean, there was outrage about this show. I think this was like at a time mm -hmm. when it was like, okay, enough, especially on Fox. Because seriously, we've mentioned about five titles here. Four of them were on Fox. Yeah. And there was that period of time in the early aughts where Fox was doing this kind of shit on a, on a regular basis. And by the time the swan came out, Fox was taking it, taking a lot of heat. Uh, well, they managed to do two seasons. I know. It did go longer. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Which is crazy. Completely insane. Completely. Now, here's another one that was on Fox in 2005. Now, I don't remember this one at all. Maybe you can help me out, but it's called Who's Your Daddy? Here's what they say. No. Here's what they say. <laughs> what? And I'm looking at a picture from it right now. And one of the the uh, what looks like the host is somebody who is from uh, one oh, of the soap operas, like General yeah, in the Hospital or something. Yeah, I've seen her. And it's like she's on like All My Children at General Hospital. One of those. Yeah. She's the host. And here's what it says. It says one of the most exploitative shows in television history. Who's your daddy? made a game out of a woman's attempt to find her real father. The men were to be rewarded with cash if they could dupe her into thinking that she were their daughter, but the show was shelved after one highly controversial episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Who's your daddy? Who the hell thought that would be a good idea? Well, Rupert Murdoch, uh, obviously. Right. Uh, wow. By the way, it's Fanola Hughes. That's who it is, Fanola Hughes. That yeah. was the host. Yeah. Um, I find this is ridiculous. Oh my god! Just right? in the sense of like the the trauma. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I mean, and just having to the fact that she has to guess who her dad is. Yeah, and and the guys these, are these are, men are, who are trying to trick her. Like, oh, come right. On. And they're being and they're they're tricking her into thinking that. She's their real daughter so they can win money, so they can walk away with... My God. Man. That's a, that's a lot. I don't know who... I'd be curious to see the room in in which they thought these things up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would like, say... Who was like, I know what's a good show. Let's do I, this. <laughs> I would say mostly rich jagoffs uh, and mostly men. That would be my guess. Oh, yeah, of course. So... Unbelievable. But yeah, who's your daddy? I wonder if those other episodes exist. I mean, if it was only one episode and it got canceled after one episode, there's got to be like another 12 out there, right? If they did a full season. Yeah, there at least there has to be at least a few. Who's your daddy? You know, oh. I'm sure Fiona Hughes is Fiona Hughes is thrilled that this is Or well, wait. I think it's um hmm. This feels like it's a special. Oh, it's six. Ep it was six episodes. Six episodes. Okay. Right. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they didn't do any. Maybe they did them day by. You know what I mean? Like they would, week by week or whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if they're out but there I don't somewhere, I think maybe, they exist. Maybe they're on Tubi. 
Yeah. <laughs> See if they're on Tubi. So, uh, all right. Um, what about Farmer Wants a Wife? Farmer Wants a Wife is the CW. So this was from the CW. Yeah. Uh, they, this is 2008. Done, this is, this is during the strike. versions this of this again, I think. The CW brought... A uh, little to the dating competition world with Farmer Wants a Wife, which was basically just The Bachelor set on a farm. Only this oh, time. Oh, by the, the way, it's back. What's back? <laughs> that show. What it's on show? Fox now. Which one? Farmer, Farmer Wants, Wants a, a wife. wife. Oh, it is. It's on Fox. Okay. It's on Fox now. Okay. So it's, um, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware yeah. of it. Farmer Wants a Wife is back. So um, you have to, women are forced to provide manual labor and prove that they are worthy of country boy prize love. Yeah, it's a down-home bachelor, essentially. Ah, okay. Down-home bachelor. Well, it's, it's there. It's on, it's on, what's it on Fox, right? Yeah, it's oh. on Fox. So um, it, moved, it moved from the CW to, to yeah. of course, Fox. So there you go. Yeah, it aired, um, it aired in March. Oh, man, how did I not know this? I watch Fox, I watch shows on Fox. Every, every, every Gordon Ramsay show I watch is on Fox. I can't believe I, maybe I did see commercial and I just tuned him out. Or I just fast-forwarded through the commercials. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, here's one that I did watch and that I loved, and it was on VH1. It was called Scream Queens. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved this show. Uh, uh, with challenges involving screaming, stunt killings, begging for their lives, and pretending to be possessed by the devil, VH1 Scream Queens sought to single out Hollywood's next big horror movie star. Uh, season one, Champ. Tendra Howard won a role in Saw 6 for her efforts. Oh. Now, I don't know why they have this in an article about like really horrible and embarrassing uh, TV shows, because I actually like this, I, because I'm a horror movie fan. And, mm-hmm. and they took all the stuff that Scream Queens have done, you know, like Jamie Lee Curtis at the start of her career and so many other women, and they had these actresses and they had different challenges with people from the industry and from the horror movie industry, like real, you know, writers and directors and actors and actresses and stuff. And they did like screen tests and stuff and stuff that they would have to do in horror movies. And then the woman did get a part in Saw 6 at the, <laughs> after the first season. Yeah. So, I mean, I well, don't know. That's I thought, nice. I thought it was a good show. I thought it was very, very good. Scream Queens. So it was a reality show on VH1. I remember I watched every episode of it. Hmm. So yeah, I thought that show was I thought that show was really good. It was on for three seasons. I remember really liking it. Oh wow! And they also had screen. Did anyone? Queen. Do you remember? Did anyone come of it? Like no, they get I their don't, part, but then did it keep going? No, I don't remember. Now this girl, uh, Tanadra Howard uh, from Sauce. I will say this though: one of the contestants appeared at flashback. Oh. Um, fun. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So they've they've actually they you know some, so some of the ladies from Scream Queens actually did the convention circuit. There's money to be made from that. Oh, you know. There you go. So yeah. I and I remember that there was an actual show called Scream. Scream Queen, and it was a, but it was yeah. with Emma Emma Roberts and Jamie Lee Curtis, right. and that was a great show. Um, and uh, uh, what's her name from? Um, we're on a school bus and we're chasing it. Uh, with Steve, Steve Carell and Tony Collette. Oh, fuck. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, the, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, she was in it. And it was a great show. It was, uh, um, and it was, I think Ryan Murphy actually uh, m- did it. But that wasn't a reality show. And I think it was called Scream Queen. Right. Scream, yes. Was it called Scream Queen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, 
uh, that wasn't a reality show. So I don't know. But I still think that like even even these horrible things that we've been talking about, like your Mr. Personalities or Who's Your Daddy or The Swan and stuff, I still think that they kind of pale by comparison to the complete unhinged insanity of Japanese television. I really... It, um, it, I feel like in Japanese television, it's not... It's embarrassing, but it's not this level of embarrassing. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I mean, because there's a, there's a level of exploitative quality to the shit that right. we're talking about. Like that, who's your yeah. daddy? Who's your daddy? That thing sounds unforgivable. Like, exactly. Well, I mean, that poor woman is trying to find her father. <laughs> right, right. Now, waking somebody up with a can and then ruining their bedroom... That's ridiculous, but at least it's not like, you know, that's over in a couple of seconds. You're not going to have lifetime yeah. trauma because that's just good, clean fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. Well, I don't know. Um, I only watched the only one that I ever watched regularly was the uh, that. I mean, out of that it was Scream Queens uh, in this article. That's mm-hmm. the only one that I ever watched with any kind of regularity that I actually liked. No, I watched. I didn't, I, I didn't I watch watched, any of these. I watched the Swan <laughs> out of morbid curiosity for a little bit, and uh, and also because like it became part of the uh, the zeitgeist at some at some point. I mean, to the mm-hmm. point where, like I said, with the, the, to the point where they did a really funny uh, satire of it on um, SNL that season. So it was kind of everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never. I didn't watch any of. It. None of those. <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah. But I have a feeling that if 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 we ever found like a 24-hour Japanese TV network and I'm sure there's got to be one out there. I that's something that I could watch. Like I could watch Oh yeah. I'd I could watch down. somebody bringing a cannon into someone's room and blowing it off and scaring the shit out of them. That's that's Oh amazing. yeah. <laughs> and screaming guy, like an hour worth of screaming guy. I I'm, I'm up for that. So, I'd be know. into it. Yeah. Yeah, they should. Yeah. That's that is well, you know, you got to get rights and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. I think it's an untapped uh market channel. Let's get into that. <laughs> let's do that. Let's let's make that our next our, uh, <laughs> our next thing, Esmeralda. Just like start Oh, some, for sure. Start some <laughs> let's let's revive the insane Japanese game show here in America. That's what we Absolutely. Do. Well, you know, under M- Esma Olas Productions. That's right. That's right. We that's have right. many <laughs> things that's it that'll be the next one all right well cool all right well uh well uh, we've got a few more of these things that we can jump into and by the way if you have any uh crazy game shows or reality shows that you remember and you want to uh throw them out there for our discussion uh 24 7 anytime you want to make a contribution or a question please do 773-417-6948 let's hear from you email us nickdpodcast at gmail.com Thank you to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music and the sound. Be a sponsor here, too. You want to advertise with us? You should. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you to Ed. Thank you to uh, Eric and Steve for reviewing the new movies. Next time, Dan Feinberg will be back for his biweekly visit to talk TV. And we'll probably get a little more news, if there is any, on the writer's strike. And maybe I'll ask him, Esmeralda, about who's your daddy. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe he'll, uh, there you go. <laughs> he'll, have some, he'll have some insight on that. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you the next time right here on uh, the Nick D Podcast on uh, Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network. The wind is red on me.